May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to read to you another gospel lesson. Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And he came and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he had said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. If somebody says to you, I'm sorry, but that information is classified, you will know straight away that you are very, very close to some dangerously important knowledge. I don't know about you, but I have longed all my life for someone to say to me, I'm sorry, Mr. Boisel, but that information is classified. I mean, give me that moment, right? I want, I want to feel what that's like. I've wanted to be one of the guys out in the white paneled van parked on the street with all the sophisticated machinery inside, you know, as they're listening to what's going on inside the house. I wanted to be that guy. You've wanted to be that person too, haven't you? I had a friend who um, he used to work for the BCI here in Ohio. It's the Bureau of Criminal Investigations. It's sort of like the state of Ohio's version of the FBI. And my friend used to work in the narcotics division. And he would um, he would go into these very dangerous places, these homes, and he would buy, you know, illegal substances. And there would be people out parked in the white paneled van out in the street. And, and after he had made the purchase, they would rush in and arrest the people. And he's told me that one time he was in this uh, situation where he was in a home, you know, getting ready to make this purchase. And, and the people inside the home were listening to a police scanner. And on the police scanner, they could hear the music that was playing in the same room, along with the conversation that was going on in the room, was being played back through the scanner. Somebody in the room had a bug on them. And all of a sudden, it's looking around. Thankfully, he says, the guys in the white panel van also realized what was going on, rushed in and sort of saved the day. Sometimes secrets are absolutely essential. I mean, they're life and death sort of things. At other times, secrets can be a little annoying, can't they? I mean, you're sitting in a room, a bunch of people there, you know, and, and you look across and there are, you know, a couple of women sitting on a couch and one leans over and whispers into the other one's ear. That's annoying, right? My mother told me that telling secrets in public was rude. It was impolite and you shouldn't do it. Did your mother tell you the same thing? Yes, you, our mothers went to the same schools, right? Do you know why it's rude? 
Because everyone wants to know what the secret is, right? That's why it's rude. We want that information. Don't let us know that there's information out there that we're not privy to. That's bothersome. Other times, though, there's information that you might want to know. But if you knew, you might wish that you hadn't known. You know, there's like information you wish you didn't know. Um, Suppose you're in a book club and you find out that someone in the book club isn't actually reading the books. You get in his car and you find the books on tape. You know what? You'd be, I can't believe you're doing that. You know, you're, you're cheating on the book club. You probably wouldn't want to know that. Maybe you would. I don't know. Or, or you, you get out of the, out of the car. You're going into Penny's or Dillard's or Macy's, wherever it is you go. And, and you're, you're walking into the store and you see your friend from work and she's parking in the handicapped spot and you know that she's able bodied. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? I mean, imagine that moment. It might be information you'd like to know and and wait to share, like in the break room at work, Um, but probably not right at that moment. Or maybe you have this new friend. I don't know, maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe just a friend. And you find out that this person that you already like, this person that you know and already like, is from a different political party. Bob, I can't believe you're a Democrat. Alice, how could you be a Republican? It's like, you know, it's awful. I just can't imagine that. Information. Please, you know, just don't tell me. But most of the time, most of the time, we want the information. Give me the news. Most of the time, there's nothing so sweet as, as this announcement that's going to be made. Oh, I mean, you know, even if it's bad news, people are anxious for it, aren't they? I mean, there are people who hang around watching CNN just anxious to find out when this plane from Malaysia is found. You know, when, when they say, officials are coming in a few moments to make a major announcement, people from around the world will be glued to their television sets and by the radios, eager to hear, even though they know that it's going to be bad news. Anytime there's a big announcement, people will pay attention You have information that I want. Give it to me. You know the context of the gospel story. Both the one that Father Abraham read a moment ago and the one that I read in Matthew 28. Jesus of Nazareth has has been uh, doing ministry in the area of Galilee and then later in Jerusalem. He has been um, hailed by some as the coming king. Many people thought he was going to ascend to Israel's uh, monarchy. He was going to become the new king. He would lead the nation in in a revolt against Rome. He would institute widespread uh, spiritual revival. It would be a new day in Israel until Friday. You see, the Romans, they had little respect for anyone, particularly for Jews, and they had absolutely no patience for anyone who would challenge their authority. And so when some small-town peasant preacher wants to become king, well, they have no problem putting that away. And so they take possession of him from local police on Friday, and they snap him like a twig while his mother and his friends stand and watch. They crush him, they crucify him, and they put him in a tomb. That's Friday. Matthew and John tell us what happens on Sunday. 
very early in the morning, while it's still dark, a couple women head to the, um, the tomb of Jesus to hold vigil around the grave. This is their first opportunity to come to it. And Matthew says, as they're walking up, suddenly there becomes this major earthquake. Seismos, he says. It's where we get the word uh, seismometer the, to, to measure earthquakes. This, this major shaking of the earth. And an angel descends, rolling away the stone from the tomb. And as this is happening, Matthew says, the guards fall like corpses. They're terrified, as are the women, because the very first thing that the angel says to the women is, don't be afraid. Of course they're afraid. They're terrified. This angel from heaven coming down. And of course, the message. The one you seek. Jesus, the crucified one. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Matthew, Matthew used this word, kathos, even as, in the same exact way as he said he was going to do, he is, raised, he is risen from the dead. Well, you know this story has its critics, don't you? Perhaps, you? perhaps you've picked up a Time magazine or something along the way. You've heard out there, by and by, that there are people who, um, who don't really buy into this. Earthquake, angels, resurrection, come now. That really can't be, can it? In fact, they'll look at our stories. We have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them tell this story. And these critics say, you know, there are major discrepancies between your four stories. I mean, for instance, Matthew has two women and one angel, while Mark has three women and one angel. Luke has three women and two angels, and John, one woman and two angels. There's a bit more. In John's Gospel, Jesus speaks only to Mary Magdalene, whereas I, the Gospel that I read to you from Matthew, Jesus speaks to the women on the way as they're walking down the road. Also, the issue of the stone. In Matthew's Gospel, the stone rolls away as the women are approaching. In John's Gospel, the stone's already rolled away when they approach. See, they say, look at this. Your stories, they're filled with inconsistencies. This is a fairy tale. It can't be true. But in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Hold on just one moment. Let's hear another witness. First of all, none of these writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, claim to have actually been in the cemetery on that Sunday morning. Every one of them admits in their writings that they are second-hand witnesses. They have received this information from someone else. Keep that in mind. Second, all four of them say there were angelic presence there, that there were angels that are present at that tomb. All of them. Their numbers might, might be in uh, dispute, but the fact that they are there is without dispute. Third, all of them say the stone was rolled away. These stones weighed at least one ton, some of them two tons, way too heavy, and they were also set on a slope so that gravity would force the stone closed, so that it wouldn't be easily opened. This stone was way too heavy for one, two, or even four women to move by themselves. It would be like rolling a car uphill without wheels, you know, just pushing it on its top or something like that. It was a massive stone. And all four Gospels agree that the first witnesses were women. And all of them say that Mary Magdalene was present at this event. Here's the point. If you are going to make up a story about the resurrection of Jesus, this is not the way you would make it up. This has all the wrong things. 
these gospel writers we know had access to one another's material, at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Two of them had to have access to the other's material. The natural thing would have been to harmonize the stories, make them all say the same thing. And most importantly, no one, no one in the first century would have had women being the witnesses to the resurrection. Do you know why? Women, you say, no, I don't. Good. Women were not allowed to testify in court. They lacked credibility as witnesses. If you were going to make this story up, you would have somebody who was a, you know, a, a, a ranking member of the community and a man. Not a woman and certainly not women. This is, the, this is not the way you would make this story up. Listen to Matthew's account. It's a little bit more interesting even than that. The angel says to the, woman, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. The women are given a vocation. The very first people called to announce the good news of the resurrection were women. This is not the way things are supposed to work. This is not the way it's supposed to happen. Jesus says to the women, go tell my brothers. He says, go announce it. It's even a more robust theological term. Listen, the very first witnesses were women. This is not the way it's supposed to be. The criterion of dissimilarity, historians would say, actually validates the truth of their stories. It doesn't invalidate them. If you've ever been in an automobile accident, the first thing they do is grab people who are witnesses. If all the witnesses tell the same story, do you know what the police assume? That collusion is involved. Because four people seeing the same event from four different places will have four different stories. It's actually happened to me. I've been a witness and a, and, and a, and a woman came and she looked at my story and she said, well, that's not the way I saw it at all. Maybe I should fix it. I said, no, you should write down exactly what you saw. The criterion of dissimilarity... The unlikely witnesses, the fact that there are some things that are so consistent throughout, these all point to the validity of the story. And I tell you, the historicity to me is exciting. I'm thrilled about the apologetics of defending this story. But that's not the point. The power in this story is not in its historicity. It's not in the science it's not in the, um, the veracity of the claims. The power in the story is the story. It's in telling this story that Jesus was crucified, dead, buried in a tomb, and then rose again. That is the power. That is the lifeblood of the church. He is risen. That's the lifeblood. That's the thing that we hold on to. Because, listen to me, there is power in the story. When you tell that story, it infuses you with power. It infuses me with power. It it brings faith when we tell that story. And when we hear the story, it does the same thing. And for those who have heard it and not believed it, tell them again. Because there's real power in simply saying this. Not defending it. Not being an apologist for it. Not trying to come out with the scientific answers about it. Just simply say it. Because without the resurrection, there is no faith. There is no ministry. 
there is no hope. But with the resurrection, we have everything. It is everything to us. It is all in all. It is all encompassing. We have everything we need. And so I have an announcement for you this morning, and it is totally declassified. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. And you say, The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.